Welcome to Naked Grief with Marnie Martin and Christy Campagna. Campagna. Um, so funny. Hi, Marnie. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm okay. I mean, I'm okay. Yeah. Do you want to think about it? You may ask you again in a little bit. I. You know, that's very nice that you even asked me. Most people don't really ask. Okay. Me. So. Um, <laughs> Oh my god. Um, I'm just kidding. Pull the knife out of my heart. Oh, poor baby. At least it's not in your back. Oh, well, well, not yet. No, but for real, how are you? I'm okay. So when I was coming over here, I noticed that my um, little handbag was a little heavy. So I went into the handbag and I realized that I had a very small bottle of maple syrup. Oh. And then another little spray bottle of antibacterial Windex. And then it made me think, you know, I didn't know that was in there weighing me down. So what's in my brain? What is in your brain? That's the question it brought you No, to I mean, I'm just, it's oh, just why like. why are you yelling? You're in a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to yell. Okay, go on. Okay. Wait, what was the question? <laughs> You need to rewind it and listen to what we were talking about. You were It brought you to the question of what's in your brain. No, like what am I unaware of that's in my consciousness that's weighing me down? So you had maple syrup. Had, <laughs> trying to make sense of this. You had Windex. Yes, I did. A small bottle of both. Okay, so okay, what did you so, think? No, it makes me, you know, what am I unaware of that I'm carrying around that is heavy in my being? Mm. So what do you think you are carrying around? Probably just freaking grief because of my job. Mm. So I had a patient that, well, he actually wasn't my patient, but a husband of a patient that had died previously. He became very sick following the death of his wife. I've never seen a partner die that fast. Six weeks out, probably. Mm -hmm. He was intubated, so the family asked me to be there when they were taking him off life support. And so I was. It's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm with people all the time when they died but this happened very very fast and so I think I'm just sad Mm. what do you do about that I mean as the chaplain you're not the family member right so but the grief still hits you in a way actually I was talking to one of my really good nurses that I work with and I went into a meeting with her last Friday and she seemed really morose and sad and I said what's going on and she said uh I just haven't had time to process. I've had like six deaths happen. She said, I just, I need to get the grief out, which is what I talk to people a lot about. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way sometimes. And it's just, so I'm, a, I'm feeling overwhelmed. It can be a very heavy feeling. Which really actually brings to my mind, there's a lot of people who have grief. They're going through things right now in their life, whether it be a breakup or a divorce or death or any of those things. But they have to continue to do their job. They have to continue to work, go to work, run their business, take care of their families, do all these things. So this is your job and you're dealing with grief at for your job so you're literally in the thick of it you go in one room you deal with the grief you come out now you have to kind of recoup or whatever you call it and then put your best foot forward and continue with your day and so for me it makes me wonder how do people do that you're really like so in the thick of it you must have some good advice on that you know um i drive down the street close my windows and scream really loud in the car oh and that helps? Yeah, to move the energy through, yes. I traveled great distance the other day. I think it was like round trip 140 miles I drove. When I got there, the patient said she kind of had forgotten that we'd made an appointment. And then she said, but I don't want to meet anybody. 
I don't want to meet anybody new. And, and I don't want to talk about my feelings. I want to pretend. And this is what she's telling me on the phone. And I've never met her. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And I said, well, I'm like the one person that it's going to be fun to talk to. Because I'm actually not going to talk to you about clinical diagnosis, prognosis, and all that other stuff. But we can talk about what brings you meaning and purpose. She said she would think about it. And in my mind, I'm thinking so much of somebody's behavior, their words, can kind of you how do I put this there's a way to put it um I wouldn't be surprised if this is the way that she dealt with her life prior to a diagnosis Mm. and thus in turn part of the outcome may have been a diagnosis because the body kind of tracks what we believe and what we think and how we feel whether we are aware of what we think how we feel and how we act I think that people don't realize that. So people got really angry with Lisa Rinna the other day Mm. on, I think it might have been on the reunion for Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. She was sharing that um, she, in essence, didn't want to keep a secret that Kathy Hilton had said and that she felt that if she did not share what was said, that she would get cancer. And so people Mm. were very, very angry and very upset with her. And I get that. I understand that people would be upset because it feels if you don't have context and you don't have an understanding a body mind connection that you are blaming the person who has the diseasement mm-hmm. and that is not what that means I can't speak for her I can only speak for what I know and what I understand and what I know and what I understand is that your thoughts and your feelings they your body has a physiological response to what it is that you think and how you feel Mm-hmm. And there's science that is proving this across the board. There's different people that are working on this, like through epigenetics and Dr. Joe Dispenza. And there's different people across the planet that are doing this work to bring people awareness of uh, what I would say is the power within them that you don't. There's certain things that... Um, Okay, how do I put this? So the universe is running with or without you. It's going to continue to create with or without you. So the real question is, are you going to co-create with that energy? Or how I tell people is either you're going to manage the energy or the energy is going to manage you. And it can be done consciously or unconsciously, but you have to pick one. Most people are not conscious of what they believe. And then they act very surprised with the outcome or that their body isn't properly responding the way that they want or they're not quote unquote having a healing and I think it behooves everyone to take time to do their own research and education so that they can understand what that really means when somebody says I feel I need to express this from my being because I believe that I will get cancer as an example, like mm-hmm. what we're talking about, like Lisa Renna and stuff. And I'm not defending anybody. That's not my job. And I can't speak for anybody. But I know in my own life that I have seen how there is a connection between my thoughts, my feelings, and my beliefs, those that I'm aware of and those that I become aware of and how my body responds. So I will give you an example. I was in a relationship for many years and well, actually a couple. And um, each time that I refused to remove myself from the situation because I really wasn't supposed to be there, it wasn't my right place, my body would respond and I was starting to get sick and I got really sick. 
And so that's, for me, the pattern of creation has been that I know that it's time for me to move on when my body starts to break down. You know, that's why you want to be aware of what it is that you think and how you feel. So your body's always telling you, your body's sort of like a compass of what it is that you think and you believe. Now, this isn't anything new. Louise Hay used to speak about this. This is if anybody's ever heard or read the book, You Can Heal Your Life. That came out, I think, maybe in the late 70s. It was in the 80s, too. It's a very basic understanding of the relationship between your thinking and the manifestation of a diseasement in the body. And it's a good guide. It's a very, it's I call it like kindergarten. It gives you a very good basic understanding so that you can start to hone your own awareness. There's another gentleman, I think, out of, and I have that book. I think his last name's Mark. I can't remember the first name. It might be Jacques Martel. And that is a very in-depth book about how disease can be brought on or there's a connection with the emotional component and the belief system that one holds. And that book is pretty fascinating. It's pretty in-depth. And I I use that in my work too. What's it called? I can't remember the name of the book, but Martel and maybe Jacques, I think. So, okay. Well, maybe we can put that in the description so people can find that book. It's a really good book. Both okay. of them. When I was learning my skills as a clinical chaplain in the hospital, you have the opportunity to read a patient's face sheet, if that's your patient. And it will give you an HMP, like history and physical. It will give you background. It will give you a diagnosis. And I would often choose not to look at the diagnosis because I felt that when I went in to work with a patient, it, it would be fascinating because I could tell a lot about what was going on with the patient. And I wanted to hear firsthand about their thoughts, their beliefs, and their history. And I would never really be surprised of kind of where the disease was manifesting in the body sometimes you'll see that it sinks up Mm -hmm. very much so and then that's a great way to work on healing and working to co-create health in the body because there's awareness Mm. and I think people do get upset when people will say oh so you think it's my fault that I have cancer well yes and okay so I come from a metaphysical background that's where my education's in and that's what I grew up in a metaphysical household if it's taken out of context it can be very detrimental it can be very abusive Mm -hmm. because we're never saying what did you do to cause this that was like the standard kind of language and it'd be like what do you mean well, I didn't do anything but we also understand on the other half of that conversation that there are principles that run the universe and those principles apply to all people walks faiths and life a spiritual principle is the same as a science principle which would be gravity gravity is not going to if you have 1.2 million dollars gravity doesn't work for you versus if you only have five dollars in your pocket it's going to work Mm. it's a principle Mm -hmm. and so it's the same with spiritual creativity if you don't have context about that you don't understand that what somebody's really trying to say is that or I'll speak for myself is that I would never go into a patient's room and say so what exactly did you do to cause that cancer like that's Mm. insanity and that is for me spiritual malpractice But what we can talk about is tell me a little bit about what you think and how you feel and your 
belief system. A lot of times that's steeped in our culture and the culture and people have been trained to believe that, for example, if my grandmother had breast cancer, then inevitably I will have breast cancer. If it runs in my family, right? Mm -hmm. If it's in my DNA. But from what I understand, and of course I'm not a scientist, but I am a student and I try to educate myself. The idea is that the bulk of your DNA is turned on by environment. Now, environment can be, do I live next door to a nuclear power plant that has had a leak? We also know that environment means our consciousness. So the environment where I'm housing and holding my belief system and my thoughts and my feelings. And Mm -hmm. so that is also environment. So why would my thinking not have power over my body? We're trained to say that the body's in control. This is one of the things that I talk to people when they're dying is there is an appearance and a belief system, especially in Western culture, that says the body is in charge. And that can be very scary for somebody who's getting ready to die because the biggest fear for people isn't that they're going to die. It's that they're going to be in pain as they die. And so my job is to teach people that they have sovereignty and that they can have what we call a good death and that they are not required to suffer to get out of the body. And I will say that again, you are not required to suffer to get out of the body. You have sovereignty that it's between you and the Holy Spirit, me and thee. It's going to be the easiest thing that you've ever done. And I've heard this from people. Now, how can I hear this from people? I've met many a person who has had near death or death experiences, but have been resuscitated. And I actually have a patient now that is on hospice. And her big thing is like, why can't I just die? And she will say it with joy in her heart and frustration from her soul. In the middle of being on hospice, she freaking got COVID Mm. and ended up in the hospital, was taken off of hospice, went to the hospital and was, I think was in the hospital for like six weeks, survived COVID to come home so that she can die from her original hospice diagnosis. Wow. And the reason that she says this to me, she says, I I look forward to death and this and that is because she had died previously. She'd been hit by a, a, a train whoa she shares with me often about how death is and what it feels like wow so she's not afraid of dying but she also you know she doesn't want us to suffer nobody wants to suffer yeah so this is kind of depressing no it's fine it's good it's kind of people are intrigued by death marnie i mean just because you deal with it every day it just seems like i don't really you really think people are intrigued by death yes tell me why what makes you believe that people are intrigued? Because it's Cause the I, one big mystery that nobody has an answer for. See, I don't know if they're intrigued. I think that they freaking avoid it at all costs. Well, they avoid it. They're curious. They're There's a, no answer. Like um, Betty White, Yeah. her mom used to say to her, you know, anytime somebody would die, she would say, well, now they know. <gasps> really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I like Betty White's mom. Really? That's freaking brilliant. So Betty White was never afraid of death because her mom always said, well, now they know. So when she died, people started to say, well, now she knows. Oh, I like it. Mm Mm-hmm. See, I asked this question. I've had a couple of people kind of come undone on me, like at the hospital, when you're bedside and somebody's in a coma. And I would ask the question, and, and you have to. So somebody who's had an overdose, I would see the same people come through. I would call them repeat customers, for example. Mm-hmm. There was a young man in there. He wasn't that old, maybe. Well, he wasn't young, but... 
35. And his sister was bedside. And I remember I asked her a very pointed question. And I said, because this is the premise by which we have to start a lot of the work in palliative care. Mm -hmm. And in all of our work of healing, especially diseasement. And the question is, and I'm not being a smart ass when I ask the question. So my question for her was, do you think that your brother wants to live? And she looked at me like I was batshit crazy. She said, well, of course he does. And so of course he does. But everything that had happened up until that point proved the opposite, that he didn't want to live. Mm. Because you cannot be in addiction especially to the level of overdosing and make that statement to the universe that you want to live Mm. because your mind cannot serve two masters. That is a spiritual principle. And beyond that, your body, because your body either we're in health or we're not because every decision has a consequence. So she needed to believe at that time that her brother wanted to live. And Shortly after that, I think a couple of days had passed and I had gone back in to see him and he had woken up and it was just us. And I asked him that question because I will ask pointedly that question. And he was very frank with me and he said, no, I don't want to live. Yet those that are not in the midst of crisis or grief or pain, physical, mental, or emotional, we have an idea that, well, of course they want to live. Mm -hmm. But when you look in our society of today, really? Do a lot of people want to live? Because we're doing a lot of the opposite in support of that statement. When I work with young children and preteens and teens, I will tell them. It's very simple, for example, about like drugs and alcohol. For me, it's not because it's immoral, it's not morally corrupt, it's just really simple. Either it's life affirming or it's not. So I can't really make the right choice if I'm literally out of my mind and I'm not integrated in my body. So therefore, it's not life affirming. And so that's really what everything comes down to. Does it support life or is it supporting death? And that isn't just the action that we take and what we eat, what we drink, what we do, but it also goes back to the premise of that emotional understanding and thinking, which says, are my thoughts and my feelings, do they affirm life or are they affirming death? And most people are not conscious of what they think. Wow. It's a very strange place to be for people because it's a leap of awareness because we base a lot of what's going to be on a lot of assumptions of what has been you cannot in my and I'll speak for myself I don't think that that's a really smart way to create because there's the old idea in metaphysics which is that the universe always says yes so make your statement and the universe is gonna go okay and so what does that mean well I'm sick okay mm-hmm. well I'm fat okay well I'm beautiful okay I'm worthy okay and People don't realize that. And that harkens back to the idea because there's a God outside of us. But what we're talking about is that when you understand that you, so really you are a cell within the body of God, or some would say Christ, which is the awareness of unification, of oneness. So we're a cell in the body of God. We're also a thought within the mind of God. We are a thought. So we're in something. We're not looking for something. So that which I'm looking for, I'm really looking with. So I've never really separated. It just means that I don't have awareness that it's it's one in the same. And that's where people get lost in this idea that 
they have power and sovereignty over their soul or over the experience or the loss of the job or the, the breakup of the significant other or so on and so forth. I mean, that's a whole, hmm. we could write a book on that. Mm. And people have written books about that. Yeah. And one of them would be, uh, I don't know, let's say maybe the Bible, right? Know. Jesus talked about one. the Father within doeth the work, and that which I do, you can do greater. Well, what was he talking about? You know, if he could raise the dead and heal the sick, he didn't say at the exception of. He didn't say, well, you know, I can, but you can't. He said, what I do, you can do greater. The Father within doeth the work. So what that really means is you need to mind your own business, get out of God's way, and be clear about what you want because why the universe is always going to go, okay. Hmm. And that's where the power is. Most people, you know, have been taught that that spirit is over yonder. So they're always looking for something. And I will say this again, you're, what you're looking for, you're looking with because you cannot separate yourself from source because that's the other principle. You come from, you live in. And you, when you leave and you release the body, that's what I tell patients all the time. It's going to look really familiar. It's going to be the easiest thing you've ever done. So, How do you know these things, Marnie Martin? Um, I pay attention. I'm a good listener. I read. Spirit speaks to me. I'm a pretty good observer. You know, I didn't talk until I was four years old. Did you know that? Mm-mm. You didn't know that? No. Was that when the cake thing happened? or? Oh, I, that's yeah, the I same just, year. Yeah, I didn't talk until I was four years old. Wow. Yeah. What What was um, your first What was your first word or sentence? Oh my God! Do you really want to? <laughs> yeah. Do I have to? Okay. I just found out what that was. I asked my mom maybe a year ago. This just. Oh my God! My first word was "daddy." Really? Could you just? Can you now? Can you pull the knife out of me? Wow. Yeah, that is true. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's crazy because if you guys listen to episode two, you'll find out what happened to Marnie on her fourth birthday with her birthday cake and her dad. So that's very interesting, Marnie, that you didn't talk until you were four. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. Very, very intriguing. Yeah. So that was the word. Yep. I have two theories. Everybody should be a waitress because it will literally help you in every job in life and relationship. Everybody mm-hmm. needs to be a waitress mm-hmm. or a waiter at one point in their life. And the second thing, they need to be with somebody when they die. Mm. Wow. You get those two down and it it would be very helpful in life. Huh. I mean that. Well, I was a waitress at Hooters and excellent oh my god you had to wear orange well at least I had it was to wear county I had to wear the little orange shorts with the nylons or oh, do we call horrid. them pantyhose what are they called they're called horrid <laughs> how long were you a waitress at Hooters and white high tops oh god it's so garish mm-hmm. when in college um god was, yeah college <laughs> I had no idea yeah I could serve you some hot wings and a side of celery Wow, blue cheese. I'm, it's going to sound weird, but Hooters, I'm not kidding you. It, it is a family restaurant. <laughs> well, they will be pleased to hear this on this podcast. <laughs> it is. People bring their kids in there. We hula hooped with the kids. 
It was fun. How's the food? It's pretty good, actually. Really? Do they still have Hooters? Yeah. I mean, I have Hooters. I mean, we definitely have them. <laughs> but They could build a whole restaurant right there. <laughs> there you go. I should have got a job there. I would have been bank. I know. All right. Well, Marnie, we've been talking for about 20 minutes now. So, Anything um, else you want to know before we go? Where did you get that lipstick? Why? You like the lipstick? It's so pretty. Isn't it? I don't wear lipstick, but if I did, I would Why wear that. Why don't you wear lipstick? I love lipstick. It makes me happy. I don't know. I've tried red. For some reason, I like red. You could, you, red would look good on your tongue. Yeah. Um, but whatever you have, it's like a nude, shimmery type oh, thing. Oh, anything that glistens. It's so glistening. I, need, I, I love glitter. Yeah. I need sparkle and... Sparkle. Some joy. And some... You have sparkle on your eyes, too. Yes, because I freaking love glitter. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Wow. Yeah. I took a shower today. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I didn't wash my hair, but I did take a shower. Well, well there you go. All right. Oh, shit. Fuck. Um, <laughs> God. Okay. All right. So anyway, anything else, Marnie? Uh, no, I think we are going to have a, hopefully a telephone line. I'm thinking. Telephone line. Yes. Right? What era are we from? We are, gonna, we are going to have a telephone line. No, no, I want landline. people to call so they can leave, they can ask questions or whatever. Yes, we can figure out a way to have call-ins slash chats slash DMs or whatever people are doing. Yeah, these I don't even know what that means. Podcasts. I literally don't know what a DM means. What does that mean? A direct message on Instagram. <sighs> whatever. All right, we'll get a fucking landline. All right, guys. Well... Thanks for joining us. As always, a pleasure to have Marnie Martin in my bedroom. All right. Well, I've heard that before. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you guys so much again. As always, if you have any questions, comments, ideas, you're dealing with any grief, whatever it is, reach out to us at nakedgrief at gmail.com. All right. Until we meet again. Au revoir. We love you. Later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Love it to the bank, like. Ha, 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 ha.